where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. We're talking about season five, episode three, Money Dearest. Money Dearest. I am James. And I am John. This episode aired on the 9th of October, 1986. It was written by Janet Leckie and directed by James Burroughs. And do you know what, James, I want to say this now? A classic episode. All set in the bar. It is all set in the bar. I don't I don't know why, it, one, that surprised me, two, why I went a bit of Celtic in my accent there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do like the episodes where they're all set in the bar. They, they remind me of season one-esque era. A simpler time. The OG era, the original season. <laughs> I tell you what is pretty OG as well. Cliff's been on a trip. He's went travelling. I went to a uh, expo, didn't he? Uh, oh, Canada. This was uh, Expo 86, the Exposition on Transportation and Communication. Speaking of exposition, I'm going to give you some information. <laughs> Do you want to know what the expo is? Yeah. Yeah? Want to know about some history behind this? Expo 1986, which was the World Exposition on Transportation and Communication, was a world's fair which was held in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. It ran from May 2nd to October 13th. 54 countries participated. It was the last BIE-sanctioned World's Fair to be held in the Americas. And Cliff was there. What a privilege. Yeah, he was there for two weeks, so he was. It turns out he's missed uh, quite a bit in two weeks. Yeah, this is the cold open. He comes in and uh, Woody goes, Yeah, I've read about it. Did you go to this thing? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have fun, did you, you scamp? I've been reading up on Expo. Did you catch that bullet train they got there? No, I guess I missed that one. <laughs> did you see the Great Hall of Ramses? Uh, no, no, I guess it's good right by me. Yeah. Uh, how about the U.S. space exhibit? No. Chinese acrobats? Uh-uh. Hey, Cliff, how was Expo? Major disappointment, Sam. Yeah, Woody seems quite knowledgeable on uh, Vancouver. Yeah, he read up about it. Something Cliff wishes he does, because turns out he missed out on all of the sort of go-to hotspots. Cliff had none of them. Yeah, and uh, when Sam asks, did he have a good time? He kind of goes, no. I guess not. As we move into the main part of the episode, not only did Cliff miss quite a bit whilst he was in Vancouver, he also missed the addition of a new member of the bar. Fitzy. Fitzy. He's apparently been there every day since Cliff hasn't been there. Yeah, Mr. Fitzgerald. Duncan Fitzgerald. Yeah. He's, he's a nice addition to the bar. Cliff, at first isn't too impressed by him. Nah. <laughs> he kind of gives the, uh, you're in my seat there, pal. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's all right, he's Fitzy. I like Fitzy. Comes in, he goes, hey, everyone, drinks for everyone. Well, hey. <laughs> Frazier seems to like Fitz as well. He seems quite smart, does Fitz. One of the reasons why Cliff changes his mind about Fitz is because he finds out Fitz is loaded. And he's got all of his money from uh, an invention that he made, which was the metal vapor input valve. The MVIV. As it's known, you know. Yeah, as it's known in the engineering world. MVIV. Cliff obviously wants to try and pretend he knows exactly what he's talking about. So he says, oh yeah, I wouldn't get on a plane without one. I always check the wings. <laughs> We've switched our ghosts in the tail. It reminds me a little bit of Friends and the Left Phalange. The Left Phalange, yeah. Got a point. But yeah, so that's why he wants to do that. And he wants to share his wealth buying people drinks in this bar. And it reminds me a little bit of Malcolm. I thought you were going to say Malcolm. Yeah. He has quite good rapport with everyone in the bar. Norm's trying to get, get some accountancy business and he starts playing darts or invites 
fits to play darts with him so they can talk about business and stuff like that. Carla says that if she was an old bat, <laughs> this is Carla's phrase, if I was an old bat, I'd snatch him up in a minute. And Cliff goes, now there's an idea. <laughs> yeah, uh, you could almost see the light bulb flash above his head. Yeah, light bulb above his head, dollar signs in his eyes. I think I said this, uh, I probably said this a couple of times. I never thought we would see Mark Laven. You thought she was just Cliff doing the voice. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Cliff um, doing a psycho routine, pretending to be his Mark. So this was a surprise for me. Yeah, he goes, you stay right there, Fitzy. Have I got a treat for you? Ma, come down here. And she... Two hours later, you know, she has to get herself ready. She throws up. First thing Cliff says is, is that what you're wearing? He says, is that two hours worth of getting ready or something, doesn't he? We may have thought at times, but you don't say it, Cliff. There's obviously some ethical complications here because he's essentially trying to pimp his mum out. Can I say that phrase? Is that... <laughs> I mean, you've said it now. I wasn't going to use that phrase, but yeah, he's trying to... He's trying to set up his mum. He's trying to set up his mother for financial gain, but it's an indecent proposal. Of sorts. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Don't get, get rid of when I said pimpers, my mouth. We'll go for Indecent Proposal. Woody Harrelson was in the film Indecent Proposal. I tell you what, James, as, as, as we're starting to talk about characters and what else they've been in, should we go through the guest list? I think we should. As you've said, we've got Francis Sternhagen's first appearance as Esther Clavin. She also appeared in Misery, Golden Years, Tales from the Crypt, The Outer Limits, Law and Order, The Simpsons, Sex and the City, ER, and many more. And here's my favourite fact. Did I hear you say first appearance? Yes. So she's coming back? Maybe as a disembodied voice, John. Maybe not. Okay. Either way, this is the first time we've seen her. But since 1995, she has been Ted Danson's mother-in-law. That's nice. Richard Erdman as Duncan Fitzgerald. He also appeared in The Danny Thomas Show, The Twilight Zone, The Dick Van Dyke Show, Perry Mason, Hogan's Heroes, I Dream of Genie, The Beverly Hillbillies Police Story, The Six Million Dollar Man, Small Wonder, and many more. Among his more recent roles was the recurring role of Leonard in Community. We also had Paul Wilson as Paul and Thomas Babson as Tom. Been a while since we've seen Tom, I think. Yeah, tell you what, it's, it's those all-bar episodes. Gotta fill it out. Bring it back all the gang. <laughs> Lawyer Tom, you're in. As Esther arrives at the bar, Cliff goes around introducing her to all of his friends, but he sort of glazes over everyone who he really should introduce her to. Everyone, this is my man, this is everyone. Where's Fitzy? <laughs> but Norm says, Cliff must have said a lot about us. His mum sort of says, Cliff doesn't talk very much. Yeah, and they go, our Cliff? What? <laughs> Some days not a peep, she says. But we do find out where Cliff gets his trait of long, winding, little-known facts. Of course, the same thing occurs in nature, too. It's a little-known fact that arctic wolves that remained in the den too long exhibited a tendency to be reticent in their howling. Now, when I read that... Hey, Ma, I... Ma, Ma, come on, you're boring the pants off these people here. <laughs> And we also find out uh, something about the backstory of buttons as well. Buttons on a man's jacket sleeve. Those buttons which don't actually fasten, I have wondered what they do. Because it's just a waste of material mm. if they don't do anything. <laughs> but apparently, and I say apparently because I'm not sure, it's because during the Napoleonic army, people kept wiping their mouths on their sleeves and Napoleon went, well, we'll have a, that's enough of that. <laughs> so he put buttons on there. James, I've got it. He didn't pimp on his mum. He parent trapped them. <laughs> That was it. He parent trapped his mum. That's a better phrase, I think. Isn't that where you swap two people who look identical? I mean, that, that does happen in the film, The Parent Trap. But The Parent Trap is where you invite both parents 
to one place and then you lock them in there. You lock them in there. <laughs> That's what Cliff does. He, 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 well, kind of, but he introduces Fitz and his ma uh, together and he tries to get like some sparks flying. He tries to get some conversation going. She's salty. She's great. <laughs> yeah, my ma's been to your home state. Oh, really? No, I've been to Maine and Montana, but not Michigan. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating, eh? Perhaps, if you live in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't she a firecracker? <laughs> uh, say, Mrs. Clavin, uh, did you know that Fitz over there invented a technical gizmo on jet airplanes? Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah, what a coincidence, am I? You've, uh, you've ridden in jet planes before, haven't you? No, I walked to Montana. Norm knows how to get people to have conversations. He finds common interest. Norm is quite amiable, I think. Easy to get on with. Mm. And his way of getting them to talk is he asks them, he states that they've shared a war. Odd way to phrase it, but yeah. But it seems to work. And that, well, they, they hit it off and Cliff suggests that maybe they should go up to Malville's and have a nice dinner. That's... Sounds nice. Cliff does something a little bit sly because he goes, I insist I will pay for this meal with almost like fingers crossed behind his back because Fitz says, no, I'll pay for it. And he very quickly agrees. They have a lovely dinner of baked sea bass, or at least that's what the special is up at Melville's. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't say no to the nice sea bass. And from what we gather, they quickly get engaged. They strike a kinship and a romance, don't they? And a week later, they go to have a picnic on the Charles. But they're engaged a week later. Lovely. Cliff's over the moon. His, his plan worked. And he calls Fitz's dad. He's, uh, he's decided that in order to get in his good books, he's going to set up a bachelor party for Fitz. They're going to get married the next day. Very quick. It's when Fitz lets his slip that he wants to give all his money for charity. Yeah. Esther has uh, convinced him to, to give his money away, that they can live happily on, on a smaller amount. And she wants him to know that she, she's interested in him and not his money. Lovely. It's quite endearing. Yeah. Cliff has having none of it. He's like, you're doing what? I set you up because of the financial reward. I don't care about your feelings. He, he says something that, as that the only charity he's interested in is the Cliff Clavin something. Foundation or something Foundation, like that. yeah. Sleazy. I'll tell you what, if there's a medal for sleaze, Sam better take it off and bestow it upon Cliff. Cliff is certainly the villain of this piece. Sam says something which is... Surprisingly honourable for Sam. He, he puts Cliff in his place a bit and says, I don't know how to say this to you without offending you, but you're behaving like a class A jerk. You've got to celebrate that your mother's met a very nice man who's making her very happy. Put Cliff in his place. About time someone did. In response, Cliff's going to throw the best bachelor party ever. Yeah, but he can't afford the uh, expensive things. So throw in cheers. Yeah, Sam's agreed to close early to uh, make the space available for him. Free of charge, which, you know, that's actually pretty good business, I think. So that sets off the celebrations. Got a bachelor party, got a bachelorette party. Here we go. One quick thing. To go, I'll close the bar early, but we'll just keep everyone here who's normally here anyway. <laughs> yeah, except the women. Who's Fitz's friends and family? Just everyone at Cheers, as established already in this episode. Sam says he thinks that the people at Cheers are the only family Fitzy has. But yeah, when they host the bachelor party, Woody's like, wow, I've never been to a bachelor party before. No dates, right? And Sam goes, mm, yeah, no, no dates. Which means that basically, as you pointed out, what Sam did was he just told the women to leave. 
not as honourable as, as it first appeared. But do you know what? I think Fitzy has a good time. It does. So do the women at the bachelorette party, except Diane. They come in halfway through so that Carla can dip into the till. Yeah, she's like, Sam, I want $50. And Sam goes, okay. And as you said, they've ditched Diane. They put her in a car, slammed the door, <laughs> and just told her to drive. But they need $50 to put in... I assume, a kind of Magic Mike type's underwear. That's what's alluded to. Yeah, that's it. And Mark Clavin uh, seems to be having a really good time. Who knew that she was so outgoing? I thought she was Cliff. She's great. Big love for Mark Clavin. I think what was quite nice was uh, they kind of flipped what you thought would happen. You thought she'd get on with Diane quite well. But really, she's keen to ditch Diane again. Yeah, I think I think she... It's hard to tell who she's most similar to. Obviously, she's got a lot of behaviourisms, if that's the correct word, which influenced Cliff. And mannerisms, that's the word. But in terms of personality, she's also fairly similar to Carla. She's quite sharp-tongued, which was fun. So off they go. And meanwhile, the conga line is happening. And cheers. And all fits, he's, he's pushing it too hard. Yeah, you can only conga too much. Can have too much of a good thing. But what, what he does say is he says to Cliff, this has been the, the best night of my life. I'm going to make sure you're looked after. Sammy, is there a tear in my eye? No. Are there dollar signs behind? <laughs> yeah, I think there are, Cliffy. <laughs> I dislike Cliff in this episode. I dislike that he's so obviously motivated by greed. But Fitzy just keeps partying. Party hard. Fitz, party too hard. Paul comes in after Fitz has gone to the Darcy and goes, Quick, Fitz, he's in trouble. Yeah, the phrase is, don't stop till you drop. And he did. Yeah, he did. Because it was very quick. Mm-hmm. And the next scene, clearly they're back from a funeral. Yeah, a time jump. It's quite a sad ending, really. Yeah, but they made us like Fitz. They made us feel for Fitz, empathise with Fitz and, and the characters around him and what they did for him in about 20 minutes. Yeah. Good job. And then they got rid of him. Ripped him away from us. <laughs> Fitzy, we hardly knew you. Yeah, I mean, overall, fairly sad in terms of that. Yeah, exactly. And the person who's taken it the hardest is Ma, obviously. Yeah, so it ends with Cliff and his mum in cheers, and he's kind of trying to comfort her. She hasn't cried so far. She's cleaning. She's like, this bar is filthy. I must clean it. Which was endearing and a bit heartbreaking in of itself. Mm. But then something worse happened. Well, Cliff tries to comfort her, and she, she begins sobbing, really. And she can't stop again and again. And Cliff kind of goes, oh, one last cry. The thing which summarises it is when he goes, there's a fine line between expressing yourself and blubbering. Which is a bit harsh. <laughs> but I think uh, the thing that they kind of remember in the end is that they've got each other. Did she say that he's he's her greatest achievement? I guess I have to accept the fact that I'm not the type that good things happen to. Well, uh, I don't know, Ma. I mean, there was uh, one good thing that happened to you about uh, well, 37 years ago. There certainly was. Not many women get to shake hands with Bing Crosby. <laughs> Yeah, huh? She knows what Cliff's alluding to, but she's not going to give him that satisfaction <laughs> that easily. She's going to be salty about it. But at the end, she does admit that he is the best thing that ever happened to her, that he's her pride and joy. And they hug, but not without her giving a little epilogue to that by saying, gee, think of that. Which is where she is a little bit like Carla. I like their relationship because they're salty towards each other, but there's a love there and they do give as well as they 
receive in terms of jibes and insults. And that takes us kind of to the end of the episode. I think it's quite an endearing end for what a money-motivated episode was. Yeah, there was certainly aspects of greed there and how wealth can lead to greed. Touched upon the class divide, obviously, but I think... As you've said, what they did well was address the fact that they didn't need to have money as long as they had each other, which was a nice way to end it and a positive message. Mm. That's the trivia bell, which means one thing, trivia time, James. Should I kick it off with a question? Yeah. Pretty much mentioned all of this earlier in the episode, but what things did Woody ask Cliff if he'd seen during his time at the expo? A bullet train, Great yeah. Hall of Ramses, US space exhibit, mm. and Chinese acrobats. Yeah, you got them all. What did Cliff watch in Canada? He watched a film. What film was it? I don't know. It was a 3D movie about life in Vancouver. Oh, and, and it was as if you were actually there. In this episode, towards the end of the episode, when they're back from the funeral, Woody says that funerals back in Indiana are a lot different. What does he confuse for a funeral back home? Is it state fair? Yeah, state fair. He says people come from miles around, bake lots of pies, bring all kinds of food, make speeches, ride the roller coasters, and then realises he's talking about the state fair. You ever had a kind of state fair or town fair? My primary school used to do quite big school fairs where there'd be like a roller coaster and hooker ducks. Hooker ducks, yeah. I like a good hooker duck. Yeah, they, they used to like fill the field with roller Is that unusual? They used to actually go pretty hard on it. Back in, I suppose, my hometown where my, my parents live. Yeah, if they'd get the fairground out. But the biggest point of this town fair was the ferret race. I'll tell you that. They, you know, they laid down drain pipes, right? Mm. And just put some ferrets in them and... and <laughs> go and, and there was gambling and people going yeah come on yeah it was great steroid test on the ferrets yeah yeah an old <laughs> headmaster was the commentator and you know getting really tense and as it got to the end he'd just go and whiskers wins you know it was all oh, most exhilarating sport in our town <laughs> could anyone submit a ferret i mean if you had a ferret yeah did you ever i didn't have any ferrets but a friend of mine he put a ferret in the ferret race they didn't win did anyone there uh get like suspended like this isn't a ferret an rc car with some felt on no 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 because they, they were that was that would be too obvious but it was quite the event when woody was talking about his state fair i was like yeah they they are fun yeah <laughs> sam greets fitzgerald by asking if he is still irish how does fitzgerald respond yes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as Paddy's pig. I've never heard of as Paddy's pig. Never. Maybe I'll start using it. I think that's the last call. Last call at the bar, James. Oh, we haven't established any drink of this episode. Nah. Cliff does order champagne to celebrate the um, engagement, but then then he dies. Yeah, so champagne doesn't feel right anymore. Oh no, of course I know what we can have. Baked sea bass. Oh, that's a good show. If we're going to toast this meal to, to anyone, I think it obviously fritz. Fitz has to be Fitzy, yeah. But also to, to Esther Clavin, you know? I never thought we'd see her. Good she made an appearance. Francis Stonehagen did a very good job, I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, more than I could have hoped for. But also, as we're having Seabass, um, also got a, you know, bit of a toast to Pink Crosby, because, you know, not many women get to shake hands with them. And although it was a bittersweet ending for the Clavin family, I hope we see the return of Mark Clavin in episodes to come. Couldn't say it better myself, James. And as we're toasting, I'd also like to toast to the Expo of 86, to uh, little-known facts around wolves in nature, and also that Napoleon's army had to have buttons because they had runny noses.
There's some little known facts. If you want more, listen in next week. Thank you for listening to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Cheers.